And you'll remember as we've been looking throughout this series and throughout this year, that really the heart of God for each one of us is to know Jesus. And as we know him, we begin to understand his purposes. And as we begin to understand his purposes, we then obey because we see that Jesus is good. We begin to do what he wants us to, to move in the purposes that he has for us. We might sacrifice ourselves in order that he might be glorified. And as he's glorified, um, we see his kingdom and his work done in this world. And it all starts with us wanting to come to know him more, to be totally devoted to him. And Philippians 3 from verse 7 says this, Paul is speaking, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And last week, we picked up the story in Acts as persecution, physical persecution, violence against the early Christians began in earnest as the Sanhedrin tried to stop the work of God in those early, early days in the church. And I think we can probably all identify with the, with the bits that we see at the beginning of this, that I may know Jesus and the power is, of his resurrection. Yeah, it's like, yes, Lord, give us that power, the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead. And we see that in Acts, the power to raise that man at the gate called Beautiful and raise him uh, from not being able to walk, to be able to leap and joy with praise. We want that power. And then Paul says, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's the challenge as we continue through the book of Acts. They had the power of the resurrection, but faced persecution, faced injury faced even death for the sake of Jesus. And in order to know him, and as part of knowing him, knowing Jesus, there is this sense that we must lay ourselves down, that we must sacrifice what we have in order that his work might be done through us and we might see his kingdom come. And that's the challenge before us. Are we, are we willing to lay ourselves down, our own dreams and desires? Are we willing to even say, I will go to death for the sake of Jesus, as the early church did? So let's read um, from Acts 5 and continue the story that we looked at last week. And I'm going to read from verse 29. And you'll remember that uh, the apostles have been arrested. Then they've been released miraculously by an angel. And then they've been brought again before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin are saying, we told you not to teach in Jesus name. Why are you still doing it? And this is the apostles' response from verse 29. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And we'll continue the story in a bit. But we see with that 
as they say that, that in order to obey him, in order to kind of truly know Jesus, in order to be truly devoted to him, they must, they must do what Jesus asked them to do. And obedience means glorifying Jesus, saying it's all Jesus' work. We won't fear man, we will fear God. We won't obey man, we will obey God. We will do what he asks, even if it means that we become unpopular, that we might get hurt, even if we die. And they say we must obey God rather than men. And the God of our fathers raised Jesus. You see, it was all about Jesus. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, a miraculous life, a wonderful life, and then died on the cross for our sins in setting us free and giving us the life that Jesus had, his righteousness, his hope. And then he came back to life. And that life is now alive in the disciples. And in fact, it's alive in us. It was all about Jesus. So they don't need to fear anyone else. They don't even need to fear the authority of the Sanhedrin, that actually the only thing they need to do is obey God. In fact, the Bible uses the word to fear him, to respect him, to revere him, to live only for him, that Jesus might be right at the centre of all that they say and do. And when we talk about fearing man or fearing mankind or fearing God, you know, we may not necessarily have to be brought before a court and have to justify ourselves. But we still have this decision to make. Will we live for our own popularity or our own kind of comfort or our own money or our own wealth and health or whatever it is, instead of truly laying it all down and asking Jesus to be Lord of it all, even if we have to sacrifice everything? And there's this amazing story in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. I mean, Daniel is a great book anyway, but this story uh, that we kind of don't focus on very often when King Nebuchadnezzar says that we must, the whole of the people of Babylon must bow down before this golden idol. And the people around him get jealous of these, these, this group, the group of Israelites who decide they will not bow before him. And they are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and they force him. They, they're trying to force them to bow before this idol. And this is their response. The response that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego give. It says this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They are under threat of the most horrendous death of being put in this fiery furnace. And they say, we know God can rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we will still serve the king. We will still serve Yahweh. We will still serve God and not you. So the question for us all is, are we willing, regardless of the circumstances and the outcome, are we willing to lay that down for the sake of just serving Jesus, of putting him first, of living for him only? Because the disciples in Acts chapter five, they're, they're not trying to win a case. They're not trying to prove themselves right. And then they get off. They get off the hook. They don't need to be beaten anymore. They, they, they're not trying to win it. They're just saying, look, what you say is true. And we're going to glorify Christ anyway. We are going to glorify Jesus. He died for me. He rose again. And I'm going to live for him. 
And even if your threats come true, he is still worth it. And so we're going to sing a song now, a song that talks about worshipping him, knowing that he is the way maker, knowing that he is able to do miracles in our lives, signs and wonders, amazing things. But actually, regardless of that, we worship him anyway, because he is good, because he is Lord, because he gave it all up for us. So let's sing this song as, as a way of committing ourselves to him. We worship him. We worship him. Let's sing together. And I'm going to read from verse 33 now. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honour by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So we see here uh, the story of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was actually the mentor or the the one who discipled uh, Paul or Saul, who became Paul. And so he gives what appears to be some good advice. And we see that at the beginning, obedience glorifies Jesus. Well, here we see that obedience leads to ultimate victory because Gamaliel is is in some ways right, isn't he? He says that if it is from God, it will it cannot fail. It will succeed. And he's saying the the truth that when God does something, that it must come to pass. When God says something, it must be true. And if it isn't from God, then it then it may well fail. Well, we know that Gamaliel's heart and attitude actually isn't right. This isn't a prophetic utterance because he was the one who discipled Saul and Saul went on to persecute the church Gamaliel himself might have been more moderate but he was not someone who loved the work that was going on in the early church but what we see here is Gamaliel uttering something that is at least partially true we all know that sometimes bad things things that are not from God they appear to succeed and sometimes things that appear to be from God they, they don't seem to succeed But what we do know is that ultimately there will be victory. There will be hope that when it is from God, it will come to pass. That's the things that we see with our senses. Even when we see persecution or what we see in the early church of death, even when we see the church seeming to be under pressure and is going to fail, we actually see that ultimately the victory is won because what Jesus did on the cross was enough. And that's why Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went into the fiery furnace. And those of you who know the story know that they came out. But regardless of whether they didn't, they went in there knowing ultimately that God's purposes would be achieved, that God's will would be done and that his kingdom would come. And that's the purpose. That's what we see in the early church. They knew that God would come through for them. They had spent three years with Jesus. They had seen him do amazing things. They then saw him dead dead on a cross and at that moment we see that we think it's the kind of greatest moment of defeat but actually it's the greatest moment of victory 
So the early church have learned to deny what they sense with their physical senses. They have, they have learned to deny what they see and what they hear and even what they feel so that they can see with their spiritual senses, so that they can see what God really wants to do. And on the cross, God's achieved the greatest victory, proved by the resurrection. And then, of course, the disciples spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus, saw him ascended up into heaven. They had tasted and seen what he was like, the real Jesus. And they were like, we are going to live for him, filled with his spirit, knowing that it might cost us even our lives. They chose not the temporary, the, the fleeting glimpses of, of success for the ultimate success of what God wanted in their lives. Even, even the things of, of pleasure in this life, they've, they decided to stop, decided to say, I'm not going to live for this. I'm going to live for Jesus because he is worth it and he will have his way and his kingdom will come. Isn't it amazing that that's the example they went through? And I don't know about you. I, I want my comfort. I want my pleasure. I want, the, I want to live, you know, a reasonably easy life. But when we bring ourselves to Jesus, there may well be conflict in this world. There may well be suffering. But we can know that the victory is ultimately ours the victory will be won through and his kingdom will come. And one day there will be a day where there is complete pleasure and joy in his presence. But in the meantime, we choose to still worship him, that he can do greater things and we will be obedient to him in all that he does. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to faith, we've talked about as a church that we want to grow stronger in faith. Faith is believing God at his word not what we see with our senses. That's the purpose behind prayer and fasting, that we might pray for something and we might fast for something, even if we think that's crazy. This person, they're going to die or this person is sick, they're, they're going to suffer. But actually we pray and we continue to pray for healing because we believe in faith what God said in his words, which is uh, for those of us who believe, he can do whatever we ask for. If we believe, if we have faith in him, he will do whatever we ask for. And even if we don't see it straight away. And some of us have had this conversation on Thursday evenings in our, in our prayer time. That actually sometimes we're like, Lord, why are you not moving here? We have this struggle with healing. We have this struggle with why aren't we seeing his kingdom come as we, we see it in the early church or as that Jesus promised. But what we do know is that Jesus asked us to pray for the sick. He asked us to to step out in faith for him and make disciples. He asked us to preach the gospel. And so when we do that, even if we don't see the physical effects of that, the, the obvious change right in front of our eyes, we continue to sow seeds of the kingdom and we can trust in God's word that what he said will happen will happen. You know, a few months ago, my granddad phoned me up and told me that his brother had died. And he was gutted. My, my granddad has been a Christian for 70 years. He's been praying for his siblings that they would come to know Jesus. And as far as he knew, his brother had not given his life to Jesus. And of course, I don't know the answer to that. I, I had no real words of comfort for him except to listen to him. But one thing I did say to him was, you've been praying for 70 years for something that we know in God's word is on God's heart too. 
So the faith we can have is in God and on what he says in his word. That his work will be done and was done in his brother's life. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I, I can't explain all these things, but I do know that we can have faith. And faith means believing what God has said, not what we see. So we're going to sing another song now that talks about our, our great big God again, that our God is greater. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And this is because when we obey him, when we when we stand on his word and when we stand on who he is, we know that nothing can ultimately stand against us and that obedience leads to victory. So let's sing this song in response, in faith that our God is greater. We have seen that obedience, so our devotion to Christ that leads to obedience, that, that glorifies Jesus. And then it leads to victory and to breakthrough. And that ultimately our, our lives, our, our prayers, they're in God's hands. And then we're going to continue this story and read from verse 40. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And I think we can all get on board with those first two, can't we? This obediently, obedience glorifies Christ that glorifies Jesus and obedience leads to victory like hallelujah that's wonderful but then we see obedience leads to persecution doesn't sound quite so good does it we see them beaten here then just a couple of chapters later in fact one chapter later we see that Stephen becomes the first martyr and we see that throughout Acts that actually those who are most devoted to Jesus are under the most threat and are likely to be persecuted. Obedience leads to persecution. And Jesus in Matthew 5 tells us to expect persecution and in fact rejoice and be glad in it. And then Paul tells Timothy to expect persecution. And we see here that they rejoice in the fact that they were caused to suffer for the name of Jesus. Rejoice when being beaten. Seems crazy, doesn't it? But this is the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, isn't it? That when we are personally dishonoured through persecution, then there is great honour in that. When we are weak, then we are strong. When we are poor, then we are rich. Because it causes us to rely completely on Jesus. And that's why the disciples rejoiced. Because they were relying completely on Jesus. And also they knew that what they had done would be there to further the kingdom of God. They, they knew Jesus. They knew him. They were devoted to him. They spent time with him physically. And now he was alive in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they moved knowing and they rejoiced knowing that they would be persecuted, that they would suffer. And I like to think of it a bit like this. A couple of years ago, I was walking by a river with the rest of the family. My mum and dad were there. And it was at the stage where the boys in particular uh, showed very little safety awareness of what was going on. We had to keep our eyes on them like a hawk. And um, as we walked by this river, kind of making sure that they didn't accidentally fall in. And Helen said to uh, the group, so myself and my mum and dad, what would you do if the boys fell in? And my instant answer was, 
um, well, before you even cried for help, I'd be in the water. And I'm sure many of you as parents uh, uh, react in the same way. It's like, I will do anything to protect my children. I will jump in knowing that it might cause me pain, knowing that it might cause suffering. And actually, if it came to the point where I had to choose between my personal comfort and my personal, um, my personal life and pleasure, um, or that my children were safe and they were able to grow and thrive, there would be no question I would give that up in an instant. And in fact, I would be glad to, I would be happy to, I would consider it something worth doing, even to give up my life so that my children would be able to succeed, thrive, grow and become all that they have the potential to become. And that's what we're talking about here. That we will give up ourselves in order that whatever God wants to do would happen, that his kingdom might come. And we are glad to do it. We rejoice in it. It's not that we ask for persecution. It's not that we say, God, help me to be persecuted. But there is something that we see in the persecuted church in Acts and around the world. Where we see it thrive and grow. God's work done because they are willing and they are rejoicing in the fact that they are caused to suffer for the name of Jesus. And for me, that's a huge challenge. I think Jesus and Paul and the, and the New Testament, they tell us to expect persecution because when we have been made righteous and we are living the righteous, holy life that God has called us to, that comes into opposition with this world. It leads to things that means that there must be persecution. And the challenge for me is, am I living a distinct enough life that means that people are going to challenge me? People are going to be opposed to me, that people are not going to like me. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to force them to like me because of me. But if they don't like me because of who I am in Jesus, because Jesus is in me, then am I willing to rejoice in that and be prepared to forgo my own popularity, my own pleasure? for the sake of the cause of Jesus and his kingdom. John Stott, a great 20th century uh, uh, theologian and, and minister wrote this, persecution will refine the church, but not destroy it. That's the victory that we talked about, what Gamaliel was saying. If it leads to prayer and praise, to an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and of solidarity with Christ in his sufferings, then however painful, it may even be welcome. Persecution may even be welcome if it leads to God's kingdom. And that, for me, that's a challenge. Will I welcome it? Will I even pray that regardless of what happens in this life, to me personally, that God's kingdom comes? We know the church will not be destroyed. We know that persecution causes us to fall on our knees before God in prayer and praise and, and to fear him above what man can do to us. If this is what we're living for, then as we come to pray now, let's ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit, that we might live the distinct life that he's called us to, that we might live a life that, that will cause opposition, not because we are ourselves obnoxious or or horrible people but because jesus is in us 
And when Jesus is in us, that causes people to be rubbed up the wrong way. Will we show the world how much God loves us by the way that we choose to forgo our own comfort and our own minds? So let's just be still before God now and ask him to fill us afresh that we might live as he calls us to. So let's just be silent for a bit. You fill us afresh. That we would, we would be the people that we read about here in Acts. That we would see wonderful things, the signs and wonders, salvation, people added to the church daily, those who are being saved. But also willing to sacrifice whatever we have for the sake of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. So right now, Lord, I pray against fear of what others can do to us or can say to us and living for anything else that is not you. I pray against that in the name of Jesus. And we bring those fears before you. And we say, change them, that we might be bold, that we might be faithful, that we might be full of faith and love you and the work that you're doing above anything else. Help us truly to fear you. Give us an undivided heart that we might fear your name. That we would live without compromise. That we would put you first. So come, Lord Jesus, fill us afresh right now. That we might live this week exactly as you intend for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.